Episode 25, Whittling Christianity Down to a Twisted Lie. Rethinking the Bible with Jack Pelham. Welcome to Rethinking the Bible. This is an audio podcast where we apply reality-based thinking to interpreting the Bible. Reality-based thinking is my name for a philosophy that seeks to make constant use of honesty, rationality, and responsibility in seeking out the reality of things while trying to avoid common errors. And for the record, I define reality as the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to one's perceptions, beliefs, or wishes about them. And you should know, this is a serial podcast, so it's best if you start from episode one and work your way forward from there, because we lay some foundational principles up front, and you'll be lost later if you skip them now. Today I'll be reading uh, a recent blog post that I made on March 5th at my blog at jackpelham.com. I wonder sometimes uh, whether I should put things here um, or there, but at the rethinkingthebible.com website, every post that's made there ought to be a an audio post. Otherwise, it confuses the search engines and it confuses the uh, audio um, playback engine that I use at... Uh, at the service that I, that I hire for this purpose. So uh, this blog post I made on my own blog, but I'm going to uh, put it into the, uh, the post for this episode today along with the audio file. So I'll be reading as, just as I did in the last episode uh, regarding there being no special Bible for lazy people. This is somewhat uh, related to that. It's more about the, the consequences of that laziness and... Um, when we whittle things down for our own convenience, how that ends up biting us in the rear end, metaphorically speaking. So uh, I will just jump right in and read this to you. The title again, Whittling Christianity Down to a Twisted Lie. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The phrase above, taken from the traditional American oath for witnesses in court cases, has developed from the wisdom of the ages. That is, humans have figured out over time that when you talk about truth, you have to get very specific. Else, some people will try to evade it by either omitting parts of it or adding to it some things that are untrue. In this post, I want to talk about the former, about omitting parts of the truth, such that what is left does not paint the true picture at all. The way I see it, this happens with great regularity in Americans in America's churches. Here's what I mean. And let me stop right here and say, I write often about America's churches, American politics. That's what I know about. I don't see any need to go writing about all over the world. If somebody from Australia or Great Britain wants to read these posts and find in it things that are relevant to them, hey, that's great. And, and probably they would, because people are probably the same everywhere. But uh, I don't need to be the world authority on everything. I just know what I see here at home. So that's why I write as I do in that regard. So I go on. Here's what I mean. A person can call himself a Christian and yet behave quite undecidedly or quite decidedly unlike Jesus and contrary to the teachings throughout the Bible. So then there is what he says and there is what he does. 
and there is what he believes, and there is what the reality, or there is what is the reality of the matter. And there is how he sees himself, and there is how God and Jesus see him. And guess whose opinion of him will prevail in the end? So many churches have got the whole thing whittled down to a faith that has to do little more than merely to say the words, Jesus is Lord. They have long since carved away parts of the message, such as, Matthew 6:46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I say? And, 2 Corinthians 5:10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And, Revelation 21, verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. This is into that holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. And just as they have carved away the substance of the message to leave a mere shadow of it, they themselves are mere shadows of the kind of people we humans were intended by God to be. They are empty and puffed up and grossly overconfident in the security they assume and acclaim. And they have been taught by their churches to be like this. And why? Because it is righteous No, it's because you can fill more seats with that kind of compromise than you can with the real deal. The churches strain against Jesus' own words. Consider Matthew 7, 13-14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it uh, by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. As it turns out, there's little career and even less profit to be made from attending to the few who are interested in the real deal. No, the money and power are in catering to the masses. Unless, of course, you've got your eye on the heavenly economy instead of the earthly one. Then you can store up for yourself treasures in heaven by acting to please God while here on earth, rather than acting to please the church or to please oneself or to gather a following for oneself. I do not know a single believer who has never made the error of believing something or other that was false, or of underestimating the importance of actions while overestimating the importance of belief alone. We've all done it. But so many seem so utterly content to live in that way of life. And it's gotten so bad that you're quickly called a heretic if you try to turn people's attention to the Bible passages that disprove that twisted gospel of, quote, All you have to do is believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died for your sins, end quote. Not only do so many Christians seem not to believe that God is a just God who judges people justly according to their own choices and actions, but they think that a God who did judge like that would not be a fair judge, but a monster. They expect to be given a free pass on account of what Jesus did for them and that the only responses they are obligated to make to the cross are those of making verbal claims of faith, and perhaps going to church sometimes. And having whittled it down this much, that leaves them needing only a couple of the Bible's 31,000 verses. All the rest 
they can do without, they think. They have no idea what they lose, both in this world and in the next, by whittling it away in this fashion. Indeed, they are the sort to think they would be losing if they were to engage in things like reflection and study and repentance from sin and error, self-correction. They can't fathom how these things could actually be good and worthy. No, they're a different sort of people from that. 31,000 verses. This is no convenient bullet list for the What We Believe page on the church website. No, it's the book collection of a lifetime, a treasure trove of information from and about God. But some people do not treasure such things. Psalm 111, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Many simply do not delight in God, yet they go to church. They will see. Meanwhile, this twisted attitude of entitlement to be saved by Jesus, whom they don't care to emulate themselves, well, isn't it interesting that America is currently being torn apart politically by many millions of Americans who have learned to think in similar irrational ways when it comes to politics. They want someone else to make their lives good for them, rather than investing themselves in their own best interests. They want to be free from unpleasant things without lifting a finger themselves to change the world around them. And they think, and they think they find in the Bible a promise of just such a deliverance from a Jesus who will swoop in to fix the very things he has already equipped them to fix themselves. It's a messed up philosophy that America learns at church and in the public forum. We are steeped in it. So many churches will claim, but Jack, man is utterly powerless and helpless against sin and cannot do anything right without God empowering him to do so. And I will ask, Tell me, who ties your shoes each morning? And when pressed like this, they will invent this answer. Well, when you get down to it, I suppose God does, since he provided my hands and fingers and the brain that controls them. And I'll ask, and this is why your shoes get tied automatically each morning without you even having to think about it? Or do you have to make it happen from your own volition? And then they don't want to talk about it anymore. Point out something that needs doing in this world, and they're likely to balk, claiming that such a thing is too much to ask from a mere mortal, and that the help of God would be required to make that happen. So I ask them, Okay then, why don't you go get you some of that help from God to make the needed thing happen? And they don't want to talk about it. And when troubles abound... They don't dig in and double down to endure and overcome. No, instead, so many of them pray Maranatha, which means come, O Lord. Their minds are not on enduring and overcoming, like Jesus counseled those seven churches in the Revelation to do, but on escaping the very world into which God has deliberately set their lives. They run from the very tests that this world presents. And if you ask them if Jesus did that too, if he ran from the trials or faced them head on, well, they don't want to talk about it. It's because they're not very interested in being like Jesus themselves. 
they don't actually like him very much. And much of what he said irks them. So they just ignore those parts and cherry-pick the one-liners they like. Things like, let the little children come unto me, and you will have rest for your souls. <laughs> but they can't handle the whole Jesus, the real one. And so they remain estranged from him, even while claiming to have faith in him. And that's some twisted business right there. But they learned it at church, so they think it's the right way to live. And woe to those who teach such things and to those who believe them. Indeed, doesn't it say something quite sad about the state of a soul who would want a God who rewards the good and bad alike with eternal blessings? The person who wants God, or the person who wants a God, like the one the Bible actually teaches, that's a different kind of person. That's a person willing to be accountable for his own deeds and beliefs. That's a person who understands that we all need forgiveness and that we all need to invest ourselves in the qualities of our own lives and of our treatment of others. There will always be false believers, in this world that is, but there are no false believers in that heavenly Jerusalem, that holy city. Thanks for joining in.